If you'd open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, this is one of the few parts of the Christmas story that we have not already read, Luke chapter 2. This is verses 22 through 33. After Jesus had been born, Joseph and Mary took him to the temple. This is verse 22, God's holy word. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your slave depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. I'm going to quickly talk a little bit about what Simeon is saying, what Mary and Joseph are doing, and we see that in these things Jesus Christ is the light of the Gentiles. I'm going to move fast, so you're going to have to keep up. Kids, are you ready? You're going to have to keep up. Okay. Have you ever wanted to read a book? But it's just, you look at it and it's too thick. So you go to the very last chapter, or maybe the last two chapters, and you just kind of read the last two chapters to decide if you ever really want to finish the whole thing. I mean, some of you, that's probably the only way that you read books. But I've actually done that. I got a book and it was 1,400 pages, and I thought, I kind of know where the story is going. I'm just going to read the end of the book. And then actually I never read the rest of it. Unfortunately, I believe that's what many people do with the Bible. They read the New Testament, which is about this much. And the Old Testament, they don't really pay much attention to, which is a tragedy because there is so, so much that you are missing. I think what we see in these few verses tells us just a little bit about why it's so important to read the whole book. Not just the last little bits. So, Joseph and Mary have to bring Jesus in to the priests because Mary is unclean. Now, this is referring to the law of Moses. They needed to be purified, Mary did. Look at verse 22. It says, When the time came for their purification... According to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. 
Verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So what is, what is this talking about? It sounds like a different world. Well, of course it is. It's the ancient Near East. And in Leviticus chapter 12, God said that anytime a woman gives birth, she is unclean for seven days. And then she has to add 33 days to that of purification before she could come into the area of the temple and worship. So when those days were complete, that 7 plus 33, which is 40, good job, 40 days, 40 days later, and that's when this is happening, they're bringing 40-day-old Jesus into the temple so that Mary can be purified, but also to, to offer Jesus to the priests, and we'll talk about that in a moment. So she was to give two turtle doves or two pigeons, and then the priest would take these animals and kill them, spill their blood, and this would make atonement for Mary. Then Mary could be clean. This would be a ceremonial sacrifice. Again, this sounds very strange to our ears, but it points to Jesus. We'll talk about it. But there's an even bigger question I think we should ask, and that's why is Mary unclean anyway? Is it sinful for a woman to give birth? No. There's nothing sinful about a woman having a baby. So what is it that makes Mary unclean? And every woman in Israel was considered unclean for seven days plus 33 days of purification. Why? Because every baby born since Adam and Eve is depraved. Every baby born, this is a reflection, a direct reflection of the curse. Ever since the fall, every baby born is dead in sin, is born in depravity. That means born wicked, without hope, a child of wrath. In the sense of God's justice, there is no such thing as an innocent child. So because a baby is being born who is absolutely unclean and wicked, without any hope, sinful, carrying original sin, carrying Adam's sin with that baby, because of the corruption of that baby, the woman becomes unclean. And it's interesting that, let's say an Israelite just touches a dead body. Any Israelite, if you touch a dead body, you're unclean. You know how long? Seven days. So it seems that Mary, like every other Israelite woman, is unclean because she gave birth to a spiritually dead baby. A spiritually dead baby. It seems that it's the same exact time frame as anyone touching a dead body. Interesting. So she's unclean for seven days. But if you're thinking about this, and you should be, was Jesus unclean? Was Jesus perfectly clean and holy? Okay, so why is Mary still considered unclean? You see, Jesus, the reason is this. Jesus represented an unclean mankind. He's the second Adam. So even though he had no uncleanness in himself, he represents from his very birth, all the uncleanness, all the guilt that wasn't even His. 
Calvin says this places before the eyes of Jews both the corruption of their own nature and the remedy of divine grace. We see that in this verse. The perfect one, Jesus Christ, who's not unclean at all. And yet, going along with this idea that Mary's unclean because she gave birth to Him. Taking that guilt, even as an infant. But there's something more. It's said that Luke says it was the time for their purification. Not Mary's purification. That would be the pronoun her. This is the pronoun their. That's more than one. So who, who else needs purification? Well, Joseph has nothing to do with the thing. It's not about him. It's like a guy at a wedding. You just show up, say I do, and move where you're supposed to move. Joseph's not involved in this thing at all. Mary and Jesus, that's the there. That's the, the people who, who had to come for their purification. So we talked that Mary's considered impure, and she needs atonement. And the, the turtle doves, the broken turtle doves and the blood poured out, that's the sacrifice to make atonement for Mary. But Jesus, Jesus doesn't need any atonement. He's perfect. He's the perfect Holy One. What atonement would need to be made for Him? Well, it's the same answer as the previous question. Christ became a curse for us on the cross, but He came to die. He was born to die. So already we see this being displayed before our eyes. He's taking that legal guilt of humanity upon Himself. Maybe not actually, but at least it's shadowing that forward. So in these two verses, 22 and 24, we see the complete depravity of man after the fall that giving birth to a child would make Mary unclean. But we see also the representative role of Jesus, even as an infant. We see that being displayed to us. And it's amazing. If you never read the Old Testament, if you didn't know anything about the Old Testament, if you said, I'm not going to read Leviticus or Numbers, it's too hard. If you didn't put in the effort, you would know none of this. It's so special. All of that pointed to Jesus, the Holy One. But there's even more. It gets better. If you look at verse 23, it's in parentheses in some Bibles because it seems to be inserted. It's, it's referring to something a little bit different. It says that as it is written in the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Well, what is this? This is, this is them presenting their firstborn son to the priests because he theoretically belongs to the Lord. He's consecrated to God. What is that? Well, again, you have to know your Old Testament. You remember when the Israelites were in Egypt and the day of Passover came and what happened to the firstborn child of the Egyptians, the firstborn male of every Egyptian? What happened? Kids, do you remember? They died. That's right. Good job, Felicity. So the firstborn male Egyptian of every family in Egypt died. But did the firstborn male of every Israelite die? No. They were passed over. The destroyer passed over those houses. Why is that? Because they had blood on their doorposts. In other words, they were consecrated to God. And then when they left Egypt and went out into the desert, God said, all those firstborn Israelites that I passed over... Those are mine. You can read about this in Numbers. 
God said all those, and he knew each one of them, 22,386. They're all mine. And here's the redeeming price. I'll give them back to you for Levites. There's a problem. There were only 22,000 Levites. Well, what about the 386 that are left over? He said, for those, you can pay me um, 10 shekels of silver or something like that. You can read it. In other words, there was a price for each male. God owned every firstborn male that he passed over, and he let the Israelite families keep them. And ever since then, every firstborn male was considered to be God's. So here, Jesus, the Son of God, do you see what's happening? This all pointed to Jesus. It pointed to this event. Jesus, the Son of God, is now being brought and consecrated in the temple is being lifted up in the temple to God. But he's already God's. This pointed to him. All of that redeeming stuff pointed to Jesus. The human baby Jesus was brought in to be consecrated to God, but he was God. He didn't need to be redeemed by his parents. He's holy to God and he's holy man. He's the redeemer of all the earth. That baby is the very one who makes anyone holy. And Mary and Joseph were only able to even live and move and breathe because of the baby that was in their arms. We are all passed over from wrath today if you're in Christ because of Jesus, because of that baby. Glory to God. And I haven't even talked about Simeon, so I'm going to give you five minutes on Simeon. You're going to have to listen because I'm moving fast. Simeon, this is verse 25. Simeon, this man was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That means the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. In other words, he was a Christian. He was saved. He was regenerate. So think of what's happening. You've got Simeon. You've got Anna. You've got Mary and Joseph, maybe Elizabeth and Zechariah. So we're, we've been introduced to six people with real faith in Israel. And there might not be a whole lot more besides. We know that these men and women are the remnant. They are the only ones really who still believed God. There probably were more that we don't know about, but not many. Why is that? The entire nation of Israel had thought that God had forgotten them. God had not spoken in 400 years. 400 years. They thought God was done with them. You remember the Davidic monarchy? King David and all of his kin seemed to have ended. There were no more kings. No kings at all. The kings are gone. It had been 600 years since there had been a king in Israel. The Aaronic priesthood seemed to be completely corrupt. None of the priests seemed really to love God at all. They were just in it for power and money. So now we see Simeon. And Simeon is introduced to us as a righteous man. As a man whom the Holy Spirit was upon. You see, God will always preserve His own people. He'll always preserve a small remnant. Simeon was saved by grace through faith like everyone else ever since the beginning of time. All Old Testament saints were saved by grace through faith in a Redeemer. 
They needed their hearts to be regenerated, just like us. They were like Abraham, whose faith was in a God. And he didn't know the perfect plan, the way we look back on it. We know the plan of redemption because we see it in Scripture. Jesus coming as a baby, living a perfect life, and dying on a cross. Rising from the dead on the third day. They didn't see all that. But they had faith in God. And God said that was counted to Abraham as righteousness. So Simeon was waiting patiently for the Messiah. The consolation of Israel. And then he actually gets to see the baby. The Holy Spirit told him to go. And Mary and Joseph bring in this five-week-old baby. And... Give him to Simeon. And Simeon, this old man, takes this child in his arms. And it had been revealed to the Holy Spirit that he would get to see him before he died. He would see Yahweh's Christ, the anointed one. So he comes to the temple in the spirit. He took up the baby in his arms and he blessed God. What a joyous time it must have been. And how it pricks my own heart that I take this time of the year often far too lightly. I take this time of the year as just a time of tinsel and pretty lights and presents under the tree. It's not about that. We can take all of that and chunk it and you would still have Christmas. Christmas is about Jesus coming as a child, our salvation. And let's conclude with this. Look at what Simeon says in verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your slave depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. First note that Simeon identifies himself like Paul and James and all the apostles as a slave of God. If Jesus is not your Lord, if you just believe a few things about Jesus, but your life is the same as it always was, then you're not his slave and he's not your Lord. You're truly not his child. But Simeon called God his master, his Lord. And secondly, you can see that Simeon is almost certainly speaking in Hebrew. So he says that his eyes have seen God's salvation, God's Yeshua That's the baby's name, Yeshua. He's holding Yeshua and he says, Lord, I have seen with my own eyes your Yeshua. It's a play on words and a beautiful one. Beautiful perfection we see in the name of God's own son and the work that he was sent to accomplish our salvation. And then he goes on to say, you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Jesus is for all people, not just Jews. Jesus is for everyone in the world who will come to him, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This light was to be for the revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. He came from Israel. They were the covenant people. But we are all grafted into Abraham. We become Israel when we have faith in Christ. So Jesus is a light for revelation of the Gentiles. It's, it's reminiscent of Shem, Ham, and Japheth when Noah says that the tents of Shem would be opened up 
and Japheth would be brought under the tent of Shem. Shem was the, the son who the Jews came from. Japheth basically is the whole Gentile world. And Noah even said, he, he prophesied in a way, that before the end of time, Japheth would be brought under Shem. He would be brought into his tent. They would have fellowship. This is exactly what Jesus made happen. So let me say, when you think about our own culture, and you think it's dark, and you think our society is, is, is going the wrong way, our government has, has flipped over and gone down the wrong path, there's really no hope left for us. Darkness prevailed in the days of Simeon. It had been 400 years. Darkness prevailed in the Roman Empire. They were a horrible, cultic people when it comes to religion. But God came and broke through that darkness. We don't have to worry about our country or our government or our society or our culture. God has not lost control. And just as Jesus came at a time when no one expected him, so in a few hundred years, a few decades, a few years, a few months, a few weeks, a few days, a few hours, Christ will return at a time when no one expects him. We only have to trust God. He will return again in glory. And we should be ready for our Redeemer when He comes. We should be like Simeon. Let us pray. Our Father in our heaven, we thank You. We thank You for giving us a Savior. We thank You that we can celebrate this night the birth of Your Son 2,000 years ago as churches have done for 2,000 years, gathering and remembering the incarnate Son of God. Lord, our hearts are so fickle. Our thoughts are so unworthy of You. And yet, by Your Spirit, we can. We can grasp the truth of the Gospel. That Your Son came to the earth For sinners just like us, He lived a perfect life. He submitted to His parents. He learned and He grew in stature. And then He entered ministry. He preached the good news for three and a half years and then He was betrayed by His own friends, nailed to a cross, And suffered the wrath of all those who would believe in him. And buried. And then he rose on the third day to your glory. We thank you that you have given us a knowledge of your word. We thank you that in in your Holy Spirit's divine providence, we can understand and embrace Jesus Christ. We pray that everyone in this room would be convicted of sin and run to their Savior. And that you would help us. That you would be glorified in all things. And we pray this in the name, the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our commander, our Lord, and our King. Amen.